0: Welcome to the Diversity Remix, only provocative conversations at the intersection of business, politics, and culture. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. Today's episode, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Tweeting. In our deep dive today, are social media giants failing to protect their consumers from misinformation and hate speech? Or are they stifling the very thing that ensures speech remains free for all of us? And in our Courage or Cringe section, The Mandalorian... President Obama and Melissa McCarthy. Should viewers be able to vote off from their favorite shows actors they disagree with politically? How responsible is hip hop for the rise of black support for President Trump in 2020? Should nonprofits doing good in the world be penalized for their founders' personal views? This and other provocative topics on today's episode of TDR. Jesus, welcome back from our Thanksgiving hiatus. break, hiatus. Yeah. We took our first week off, felt a little strange about that. I don't know about you.
1: It was very odd. I'm, I'm used to on the, typically the night before we record is I'm I'm writing my notes and thinking about what we're going to talk about. And it was uh, like almost very freeing, but also a little bit stressful that we weren't actually going to have this conversation. And then I missed it when, on you know, come Wednesday morning. hmm I'm expecting to hear an episode, and I was a little lost. I know, me too. It was a little bit weird, but I think it's for a good- little odd though, though, that I'm so obsessed with listening to our own episode, which is <laughs> kind of weird. Wait, me, you're we- the one, <laughs> exactly. I'm the one, right. the one person. Um, so, any case,
0: no, that's that's not true. We have a whopping audience, and it's growing <laughs> by the minute. As I've always said in my career, it's approaching a billion. Because it's always true.
1: That's, that's true. That so
0: we, true. Got, we got, a, in fact, a, a topic that we've touched on on a number of other episodes because it kind of figures yeah. prominently in a lot of the discussions that we've had. And that is uh, social media platforms. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, just right before the break, uh, the CEOs of the you know big tech platforms were up on Capitol Hill again, testifying in front of the Senate. Their second time in like just like six weeks or so.
1: Yeah, last time was October.
0: Right. And so we're going to we're going to basically use that as our deep dive. It's a big topic with a lot of uh, tributaries and places to wander in and out of. Where should we start?
1: Yeah, I think we're going to just kind of parse this out. Um but let's start with the latest, right? Which there was a uh the the latest Senate hearing happened on November 17th and as you mentioned, it was the CEO of Facebook Mark Zuckerberg and and the CEO of Twitter Jack Dorsey who were on the hot seat um having a conversation, right? And Look, just so that we're on the same page, there's been a number of issues that I think, you know, the government in general has been looking at trying to address with social platforms, the latest of which, and I think the last two hearings have very, very much been around the whole issue around content moderation. Right. And of course, all very timely because of the the election that just happened. Right. But it's this whole issue about whether or not they should be treated as a publisher or a platform and to what degree does Section 230, which is the law that tends to be used to basically that protects social media platforms. To what degree should that law be changed, right, to uh, make the, these companies a lot more liable for what actually goes on to the platforms or to have them actually pull back and let just content be able to reign a little bit more freer there. There's that. There's a bunch of issues around antitrust concerns, especially with Facebook and Google. Part of it is just the size. Actually, Amazon is in that bucket as well. Just their, their sheer size of these companies. Uh, there's that as well and then the, the broader overall concern about just the pervasiveness of social media addiction especially among young children right and I know you have not you and I have have mentioned this uh, a number of times even you know the last you know, the documentary that came out on Netflix uh, just a few months ago uh, the social dilemma really got into this issue about the impact that' it's had on young people and all of the issues that you've had not just with addiction but depression and all these these mental challenges or issues that that kids are now facing. Because of this obsession with having to be online and having to create this persona about themselves, and to what degree these social platforms are controlling what people think, do, etc., and the long-term impact that's going to have, right? I think that that movie
0: may be one of the first times that you know it's kind of broken out in you know into the popular realm this idea of what the platforms are doing. I know that if you're in the and you're, if you're in the business and you read the business trade, there's been some pretty notable instances of people who were VCs that put some of the money in, but nevertheless not letting their kids on the the same platforms. And there's been stories like that and even some more mainstream kind of media appearances by some of these folks. But for the most part, it really hasn't been like a big rallying cry. And I think this movie is kind of the start of that because you've got a good amount of data now. You've got 10, 12 years you can look at. And one of the most impactful things to me was, and I know that causation, correlation is not always causation, but there's like that little overlay. It's a little too much correlation though. A little too much correlation. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the part that impressed me was the overlay where they show the um, the graph of like, you know, uh, depression, anxiety, and the, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. they map it against the um, the rise of iPhone and then the social media platforms. And there's a very, very tight... Overlap in those in those in those things. So there's definitely something there, but I credit that movie with kind of getting this out a little bit in a more public eye.
1: Yeah, and I I agree with you. I think it's an issue that has been been there for a while, but at least to the degree that it's been more publicly shared to a broader set of, of folks, I think the film was pretty successful in, in making that case. But any case, I mean, so that's obviously one of the big issues that is still kind of overall a, a massive thing that still needs to be you know somehow figured out. But as it relates specifically to these Senate hearings, I mean, the the main point of conversation was really around content moderation. And this is why you had these hearings that happened right before the elections in October. And I'm I'm blanking right now on the exact date in October when it happened, but it was right a few weeks before the elections. And then this last one that happened November 17th. And, you know, as everything in the Times, tons of partisan disagreement over how... These companies have both handled the elections, but more importantly, and even broadly speaking, how they handle content moderation. But right?
0: I do think it's kind of interesting that about the one thing that the sides seem to agree on is the fact
1: that they're distrustful or don't ne- like neither like platforms. it for different reasons. <laughs> but neither like it, which is which is kind of funny. Yeah, uh, but you're right. I mean, there is a lot of distrust there. I, I think. Look, one of the things that did come out of that those conversations, and it's already starting to happen, which is. The CEOs of these companies themselves, of Twitter and Facebook, are actually calling for Congress to consider updating that 1996 law, um, which is known as Section 230, right, that is basically built to protect these companies and other online companies from lawsuits over the use of content they host or remove, right? So,
0: Right. They don't want to be accountable for stuff that's on their server. They want to be treated in a way like the phone – like the phone lines of people like discussing things. Well, that, want- that's the
1: way that they have been treated, right? The way they, they have well, been treated. They have been treated that way where they're basically are not liable for any of the content that is on their platform. Having said that... They're also are being asked by both sides, right? Both the, the, the more Republican side, conservative side, mm-hmm. uh, it has big issues with the tech industry and what they believe is a, is an industry that is very biased against conservative points of view. Mm-hmm. And then you have a, you know, on the, on the opposite side of that, of that conversation, you have the democratic side who thinks that these companies are not doing enough and actually regulating some of this misinformation It just content is getting out there without being any kind of sort of checks and balances. Right. But in, in both cases, Having this law that it basically protects the companies from not being liable with any content either way, um, thus sort of puts a little bit of handcuffs on how much Congress can can do to actually go after these companies for now for not doing a better job of actually regulating what's in that in those platforms to begin with. It's right? such an
0: interesting framing of the political ideological divide. The fact that there's such a, a clean break at that top. It's like we both agree something needs to be done, but the concern of the conservatives is let's let's not stifle opinions, especially mine, right? If I have one. And then the the concern of the liberal party is let's protect consumers or let's protect the world or whatever from misinformation and things like that. So let's make sure that the right restrictions are on this side. So like, let's make sure less restrictions are on or that at least they're not on my stuff in order to create a fairer marketplace. It's like, it's, it's, it's such yeah. a clear distinction of ideology at that point.
1: It, it is, but I also... I I don't trust that such a clear distinction of ideology, right? Because I I would say that when you think about historically, the Republican versus Democratic Party, that's a very good way to frame it, right? Which is historically, the the Republican Party was one that's been about smaller government, less regulation, let the markets do what they need to do. And you could have then on the opposite side of that conversation, you could say the, the Democratic Party is a lot more about having these social controls to be able to create a more fair sort of balanced out, you know, right. outcomes, Outcome. et cetera, right? So you have that. In the case of, of what's happening with these social platforms, I agree with you that it could definitely be framed that way. But I think it has entirely to do with, in this case, you have a, a, a Republican Party who feels that it's conservative voices that are being stifled in that process. Mm-hmm. I I and this isn't just me being, being you know my own opinion that I think if it was the opposite or, uh, opposite way if they saw that the voices that were being stifled were more liberal voices mm-hmm. I just have a hard time believing that they will have the same kind of position of no 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 let's take let's take the gloves off let's let this you know information flow a little bit for you. if you are going to be a platform then be a platform don't be sitting here trying to regulate conversation trying to regulate what, what people can say or not say. I really think it has all to do with what they believe to be most regulated, which is why the position that they're actually taking. I, 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 I just would, think it happens to fall within that sort yeah, of point I mean, of view. Yeah, I I
0: understand that. I think that it's hard to know if, unless we actually see it happen and then respond to Sorry. it accordingly. Yeah, but yeah. I would say that also the context is, you know, from most conservative perspectives, that the opinions that are out there in the popular media, Hollywood, you know, academia, places like that, are already very left-leaning. So the, so the evidence of suppression is very hard to see, right? Because sure. it's, it tends to dominate the popular culture. So, it, you know, yeah. yes, maybe they wouldn't be as urgent about like trying to yeah. change it, but it's just, there's there's a lot, it's it's a lot less clear to me that that's as pervasive a, a, a point of view as, as you know what I mean, that's, as it yeah, happens to that's
1: me. very, you're right. It's a very theoretical point that I'm making because it, I is, love much, theory. it, it is much so, harder to prove out, right? But I think a lot of this has... It really, and the reason why it's such a hot topic right now, um, especially on elections, is because there has been this increased effort by both Facebook and Twitter to be a lot more proactive about trying to label yep. what they consider to be misleading posts, right? And in, and in those cases, I think it's been the Republican Party who's been maybe most impacted, and or at least feels they're they're most impacted by by these changes. And that's where you see a lot of immediate sort of pushback and saying, "Wait a minute, like who who assigned you to be the one that gets to regulate?" what's truth or what isn't, let people figure it out by themselves. So that is, I think, one of the biggest issues. That's an that interesting sort of, point, too. I mean, you know what I mean? I, I have very mixed feelings about that point. Well, I, I get it. I want to hear your, your, your stance on this.
0: Well, look, I mean, there's, there's a, a number of, of things that I think about. I've done some digging in terms of this process of how these things get surfaced and how they get tagged because I can tell you that, you know, reading some of the policies, especially YouTube's policies, they were the most like to me kind of chilling in terms of what they what they said. I'm going to try to actually find the verbatim quote here of what their policy changes were. But, you know, in a nutshell, you know, basically their perspective was that there's points of views that we're going to need to curtail. and We're going to try to find what they are and we're going to try to suppress them in a particular way, which you get, again is fine when you consider the kinds of speech that are already um, you know, identified right in that way. Like, you know, yelling fire in a crowded theater sure. or libel or is it slander? I always get libel and slander confused, which is the written one and which one's the verbal one. I think libel is the one you say.
1: Right. Slander. Anyway,
0: somebody the, will correct me on that. I think he's
1: that. willing to right, but anyway,
0: there's already like, you know, those kind of laws to protect because we don't really have free speech in an absolute way. Sure. Um, you know, there's, there's certain things we can't say, or at least we can't say without consequence. So to me, it does very much bother me to see, you know, these sort of disclaimers on things saying, you know, I know this person said this, but really here's this other thing that you should check right. out. That, that, that bothers me at a kind of deeply philosophical level, but it's because I'm viewing these platforms as kind of what they really are, even though they're not. In other words, they really are ubiquitous, available to everybody, and kind of have a global saturation and penetration like nothing we've ever seen in history. That's true. At the same time, they're a private company. Yeah. Like, so as a private company, it's like, my inclination is like, you know, kind of let them do and let the market decide. And if people are going to penalize them, penalize them. But then I really think about, okay, what's the reasonable alternative to Facebook? Like, yeah. what's the re and, and yes, there are alternatives to Facebook. So they, they, they kind of fall in this quasi, you know, ground. Um, but, and, and I also understand that, you know, to, to your point earlier, the idea of the conservative voices feeling more um, you know, whatever set upon, but I think I've discovered one of the reasons why that's the case, at least in my research. Right. Um, and maybe, maybe we can start with that. And I'd love your, your sure. thoughts on this before we get into it. So one of the things that, that I saw was the process by which, um, all of these posts get essentially, you know, whatever, uh, like flagged. Or something? flagged. Okay. Thank you very much. They get, they get flagged. And, um, let me see if I can find this. Um, they basically they basically select right. So there's a there's a number of these organizations that moderate that basically select which one of these particular posts they want to actually view and basically fact check. It's a selection process, and many of the selection criteria is actually taken from a, um, an analysis of engagement of different posts, right? So the problem that I, that I, that I hit upon almost right away was a problem with the process, because if it's true, and here's the quote, the fact checkers from Facebook choose what stories to vet either by identifying controversial content or by selecting from a dashboard of popular content that's provided by Facebook. That dashboard happens to be, um, the crowd tangle, uh, dashboard that they bought. They bought this company CrowdTangle and that's right. a dashboard that they're actually referring to. So on that same uh, dashboard, the most, per- the top performing links on U.S. Facebook pages generally speaking out of the top 10 seven are going to be conservative top performing in terms of engagement. Right. Again, this doesn't speak for reach. Just speaks for like lots of engagement and maybe a lot of, maybe a lot of it is, I hate you. I have no idea, yeah. but a lot of engagement, but it's a,
1: there's a clear correlation between engagement and reach that you're going to have. in this, in uh, this uh, context. I agree with you on that. But so if it's
0: true that these fact checkers are looking at that dashboard to identify which posts to fact check and the vast majority of those posts are conservative posts. Well, then it follows
1: to me that the majority right. of the flag things are going to have to deal with conservatives. That That's such a really interesting point, right? Because I think it, it starts with, I, 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 A, I didn't know that, but actually that makes a lot of sense, right? So a couple of things here. I think, look, uh, one thing I think in terms of how we talk about this, we should make the clear distinction between what between what a private company can do versus what we think should happen, right? Right. I think we're both in agreement. Yeah, that's like, true. A private company can do, We can do a lot of things and I sure. think that's fine. That's a that's a pretty short conversation. Your private company could do as much as you want until the government comes in and puts some policy over it. Or then your customers
0: bankrupt you. by right, yeah. Exactly,
1: right? So let's put all that to the side. Let's right. talk about what should happen, right? But, but I think to the extent what you just brought up, I think it's a really interesting point in the sense that if you're seeing that the majority of the posts, let's say to your point, seven out of 10 are going to be more conservative posts and those are the ones driving the most engagement, then those by definition are going to get the most attention because those are the ones that are having the most impact, right? It, it does make sense to me that the the post that you're going to focus on, when you have so much volume of content that is happening in social media platforms by the second, that you have to find a way to sort of figure out what should we focus on and looking at what are the content that is getting the most traction, that is getting more conversation, be the ones that you focus on. Okay, I, I understand that. If those happen to you more conservative, I get that. And then I could also understand your point about conservative saying, "Hey, wait a minute! Why are our posts are the ones that are always getting sort of flagged? Well, we just kind of answer the question. They're the popular ones. They're the the popular ones. But, yeah. but then, then the, the the inverse argument there is that, well, wait a minute. If those are the most popular ones, then this argument that somehow conservative voices are not being heard in these platforms." doesn't sound like it's true. It sounds like those are actually the most popular conversations that are happening. Uh, happening, and Because you can literally have both things happen at the same time. They can both be the most popular, most engaging conversation and also be the most regulated because they're the most popular, most engaging conversation.
0: I think like with most things, both, you know, a lot of, there can be a lot of nuance in these things and there can be some of this sort of, you know, suppression or limitations. And I can attest to some of it personally, and I'll share with you a little bit of it. But, um, but I think for the most part, the, the there's, a, there's an old philosophical... Um, uh, you know, when you're kind of debating something or thinking about something through, there's something called Occam's razor, which is, has a long history and it's based on this kind of way of deducing an argument. But basically the idea is you start with the most obvious thing first, and right. then you go off into the conspiracy theories if that's the sure. case. The most obvious thing things seems to me to be that there's a greater pool of conservative things that are being looked at. And therefore the things that are being flagged, tend to be more the conservative sure. things. That's one thing that seems to me could be true. The other thing that seems to me that you know, could be true is that for the same reason, the liberal leaning stuff is less flagged. Like I thought about, I went yeah. back and tried to find an anti-Trump post that was flagged. Something against Trump. That mm. was flagged against. No, this is partially false or whatever. Right. I found one. I did a lot of digging. I found one, and it was an ad from the Lincoln Project, which is a yeah. actually a Republican group is, that's yeah. against Trump. And they claimed they should ad, talk about that
1: one. A uh, different another a right? Yeah, but yeah,
0: but they claimed that the ad was partly false because some of the things that they claimed, I guess, sure. whatever, we're, were wrong. So y- you know, I. I I do think that it can be true that there's more in this conservative yeah. pool. Therefore, that's why they get picked. That means there's less liberals or liberal things that are getting called out. But those things are true. But I also can believe, which gets to the next point, but I kind of want you to address the first two. I also do believe that these companies, in particular, their leadership need significantly greater ideological diversity in their ranks. And yeah. that drives a lot of the things that make people uneasy on the, on the right side of the spectrum.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'll start with the last point, which is I agree with you. I think that is part of the challenge is that you're still talking about organizations that based on where they are, based on who the leaderships are, are going to be companies that are going to be just a lot more left leaning in general. Right. And and companies that have also been publicly had issues when there are some more conservative voices within the, their ranks. Um, And, and I think there that is part of the challenge. I, I, I don't find us. And this is my own theory because I obviously don't have the data to back it up, that I don't think there's, there is going to be as a direct of a correlation between having liberal-leaning employees and having an algorithm that that also under-indexes in, in looking at, at, uh, at liberal conversations. I think if you think about how many of these algorithms sort of look at, is like what's driving the most conversation, the most engagement. And look, typically engagement happens because you're very happy or you're very angry. I think those are your two modalities that people sort of react to the most and based on that I, I think that what you're seeing there is having a lot more conversation with more conservative type of discussion because the reality is at least my point of view is that you're gonna have much more of this sort of the whole thing about conspiracy theories and things that are more in that that're gonna cause or they're gonna they're gonna have a, you know they're gonna have a more of a, of a, I don't want to use the word violent is the wrong word but a more of a passionate reaction to them that I think is, going to, is driving a lot of conversation. I think that's a bigger, a bigger factor associated with why many of these of these more conservative discussions are are, are getting, to your point, flagged. Has a lot to do, in my mind, with the fact that they're actually driving a lot more engagement than, than the fact that the employees that have worked for these companies are tend to be more liberal. Look, the only personal example I could give you for this is that in my previous company that I was running with in, in vertical networks, we had you know we kept on sort of seeing many times issues with content getting flagged. And many times our argument was always like, "Hey, but why is our getting content getting flagged, and someone else isn't getting flagged?" And in part of it was because the channel that we ran was significantly larger and much more engaging than other channels. And by just so pure, yeah, you had more and, attention, a lot more attention, right? And it was and it was a kind of a, like one of those things that felt very unfair for a lot of it. But I also understand, like, from a yeah. pure practical standpoint, is when you look at what's going to get the most attention, is going to be the content that gets the, is actually driving the most engagement. I understand that point now. It's a little bit easier seeing it now outside looking in than when you're in the middle of it, right? But I can see also being a very practical issue, right? Which is when your platform that has millions of content hitting your platform up per second, literally, right? Is that you have to find a way to sort of parse it out. And things that are driving a lot more engagement are going to get a lot more attention. But I get that. I think that the thing that I struggle with this issue, the reason why I am I have a, definitely a mixed feeling is that when I hear the argument and I hear argument of folks like, Joe Rogan is a great example of this, right? Where he would always say, Let people just figure it out. Like, why are you trying to stifle conversation? Let people hear it. And then someone else sort of come in with a a counterpoint. Sure. That's a great point of view. I love it. It's so ideological and just false that people will actually take the time to hear different points of view. Idealistic. Idealistic, yeah. yeah, yeah, Idealistic in the sense that. The the fact that you are actually thinking that someone's going to take the time to hear different perspective on, a, on, a, on an actual subject, or to your point, the thing that you always preach about is go to the sources. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen. So there is this real issue that when you have false information, and if they if it's not if there's if it's not being in any way managed, if not if you're not getting that sort of the counterpoint as, as it's being distributed, I just think the likelihood of anyone actually taking the time of actually looking beyond that initial you know share text, that initial headline. It's just very, very small. Well, and look, that's my yeah. that's the part where I struggle oh, with I remember. actually get the point. Like, if you don't find a way to actually address when it's really false information, yeah. Like there is some responsibility there that I do think these platforms have to have in order to to have that. Otherwise, you have people that go down the rabbit hole. And there is no no counterbalance, right? Because the, 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 unfortunately, the way that most of these platforms are built is they're built around engagement. They are. And that's a, so. The that's the problem. I want to get to that the, in a second. The more down, you go down the rabbit hole, like the more engaged you are, but it also means that you're only doubling down on the same yeah. biased information that you got to begin with.
0: Because some of the stuff that we're talking about, frankly, is just kind of like, you know, cosmetics. Um, because the real issue is not, you know, um, whether or not conservatives are maligned or liberals are is it's it's how these platforms are built and what they reward. I think that's fundamentally what needs, a, you know, a fresh look. But just to your argument, to your, to your comment, right, about if, you know, yes, I believe people should talk about it, but come on, realistically, who's actually going to do the homework and figure things out? So that does have a little bit of a sense of, but I'm here to figure it out for you. And that's part of the sure. part of the issue What people I, I have, a, with you, by the way, have an at issue, that point. Right? <laughs> yeah. which is like, which is like the kind of, you know, the Silicon Valley overlords that they don't believe anybody's capable of figuring it out. However, I agree with you. I don't think a lot of people will take the time to go to the sources. So here's the how about this for a solve? Could this work okay. where the idea of going to the sources is what fundamentally Twitter and all these guys are doing, say to a lot of the Trump tweets, they're saying, yep. go to the sources why couldn't you do go to the sources on every tweet? Yeah. Why, why couldn't yeah, you yeah. uniformly sure. say next to the tweet going, oh, you're talking about cryptocurrency? Go to the source. Oh, you're talking about thermal dynamics? Here's the Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, couldn't
1: that be a universal thrust programmatically to say that these I, platforms I, could I, do that? I, look, I hope that's the world that we're moving towards. I, I And I really hope that we get to a point where we can do that. I think th- one of the biggest challenges that I see To be able to get to that, it's actually not a technology challenge in my mind. It's it's the fact of even agreeing what the source actually should be. Uh, To me, that's a really big problem. Is that unfortunately we're we're at a point where we have such disagreement on what truth is and what real data is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That that becomes a really difficult thing to say. Well, what is the actual source? Like, Mm -hmm. how many times have you had? Look, when I think about what's happened with the. In the political discussion recently, what has happened with coronavirus is a great example of that, right? Is like, well, what's the actual source? Like, who can you actually trust when it comes to that? So, I think to me that is, I agree with you. I think that is a great solve. Look, people. Okay, may, so how about this? People and may or may not like what 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 yeah. they what what they did many times with the tweets of of Trump, especially Trump. Is, is, I think it's been sort of a good example of that. But I at, at least I like the attempt of what they're trying to do. Say, listen, he is still the president, so you need to you can't just delete the tweet. So, a I like that part of it. But at the same time, when there's claims are being made that are just false or that we think that there's better better data out there, maybe that's a better way to say it, better data out there, here's additional information that you can look at. Now you as a person can decide whether or not you want to look at the information, the just the original tweet and just go by it on face value or that whatever that source data is. But here's my- The challenge is p- yeah. become like, what is that my source point data point that we is we with?
0: One of the things that Democrats and Republicans have agreed upon since Democrats and Republicans became Democrats and Republicans is that- politicians lie. That's like one of the things that no matter who you talk to, you know, yeah, politicians, they lie or they say something that's expedient in order to get elected. So my question is, I agree with what you just said, but shouldn't that apply to everyone? Do you think I'm just going to throw this out there that we will see a a disclaimer on a Biden tweet. I'm not saying he's going to get them. Because, I, I think there should be.
1: Like, but do, but do, do you think, think it we happens? will?
0: Do you think we will get one that when he says something like, I, I, I'm making it up, when he says we're coming back into the Paris climate accords, because if we don't, it'll be a massive catastrophe to our economy. Do you think somebody will say that actually is not factually proven or whatever?
1: Well, uh, how about this? Look, if it, we're going to have a number of different legacies mm-hmm. from president Trump, I hope that one of the positive legacies of him is the actual much more rigor around keeping the the office of the president more accountable to the things that they actually say. Because what a president says actually matters, right? So you're right in terms of politicians that have lied through, throughout history. I just think the degree to the comments, right, that President Trump has made throughout his presidency has taken things to a, a level that— frankly no one was prepared to to handle yeah and and i hope that some of the technology Mm -hmm. starts to catch up to those to those moments because i actually think it's a really good thing if that happens so to your point does it happen is it going to happen i don't know maybe i think if it doesn't it's definitely a disservice to people being informed better informed of it and i and i think that in these companies having to respond to this type of presidency that just is, is literally concluding I hope I. I and this may maybe just being very, you know, very uh, optimistic here, but I just hope that it better prepared us for this. May well could be the new type of politician that comes now and going forward, where you have more of this real time information because that's also what. Look before people could lie, and the reality is, the ability to fact check them was just a lot harder to do. Now you have through through technology, through data sourcing, it's, it's a bunch of ways of tagging data that you actually can pull real time information to cross-reference things, even if you're not entirely sure the statement might be right, say, hey, by the way, here's a different point of view in case you want to actually go to the sources or get a different different perspective. I hope so. Honestly, I hope so. I think it would be a good thing for this country, for the world, frankly, because not just this country, because that happened, you know, happen globally. That's at least my, expect- my, my hope that, that it does actually happen.
0: Well, I would hope that that's the case, too, because I'm not suggesting, by the way, that it would be done at the same level of frequency. I think the frequency should be in accordance with the degree to which the statement's could right. be challenged, but yeah. I'm just saying if we go from every tweet having a disclaimer saying there's something else to no tweets yeah, ever yeah, having that—that's that,
1: a problem. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you, you completely. You see what I'm with yeah, yeah. And then, then the other
0: you. thing, the other solve as um, or not, I don't know if it's a solve, but thought on the idea of like we can't agree with what even the source is. Maybe it's multiple sources, okay. or or from different perspectives. But sure. what I, I guess what I'm saying is, why couldn't the disclaimer be an actual like? editorial feature or programmatic feature or whatever to just get people more educated about what these topics actually are. If that's the issue if the issue is we don't think people will take the time. So we got to like slam on this disclaimer, then why not slam on that disclaimer for everything when we're talking about whatever it may be.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. And I I really do hope that we get to that point where that does happen. Cause I think it will be, we will be a lot more better informed. I think the reality, unfortunately, if I'm trying to be very skeptical about this process will be that, even if from a technology standpoint you get there, it, it would take us a whole, you know, two days before people start just completely ignoring that, which is unfortunate. But I, but at least having the ability to actually flag content in that manner, I, I don't see it as a technology issue. Um, and I do hope that it gets to get apply. By the way, not just presidents, right? Like it really should be across the board. But especially for folks when they, the things that they say really matter, and I think electoral officials fall in that category, there should be a level of, of, of fact-checking people so that, so that the average consumer can actually have a much more informed conversation about what's really happening out there.
0: Yeah, 100%. Well, let me give you my personal story here with respect to um, whatever, advertising throttling or suppression or whatever you want to call it. So my wife runs a nonprofit. It's, a, it's Well, she runs a nonprofit, but she also has ministries that she does. And one of her ministries is outreach to people who have lost a child. Now, from her perspective, and mine. Losing a child can be losing a child to miscarriage, losing a child to stillbirth, or losing a child to abortion. From her perspective, my wife's perspective, they're all kind of viewed in the same way. She put an ad on Instagram and the ad, I've actually got a copy in the Google Doc, so you can see it. Maybe we'll put it in the, in the, um, in the show notes. I'm not sure if it'll work out, but just so people can actually see what happens, right? So she's got a graphic. And the graphic has, I don't even, it's a little bit cut off, so I can't see exactly the whole graphic, but it's basically a quote from scripture, and it's about God healing you. And then the ad copy is Healing is Possible, Trust in the Lord, and then it says Miscarriage Loss, Abortion Loss, birth, uh, Stillbirth Loss, and A Little Broken Heart. And it says, you matter, your loss matters your loss is a life. Join me tonight for an evening of remembrance. This is for an event that she was speaking at, right? Now that was an ad that that she built and it was an ad that was declined. And the, the, the declination, um, said that your promotion was not approved because the ad is, um, it says it asks a direct question to, or makes an assumption about a user's personal attributes, And, you know, then it gives some examples of, you know, don't let a cold get you down, or are you a cancer survivor? And it says this kind of language, yada, 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 right? It basically says that you, we made an assumption in this ad, and that's the reason why it didn't run. Now, that, that may be like, from a technical level, true, that if she, maybe she removed the question mark and just have it be a period. It would go through, but this is from just personal experience with this issue. And also with the fact that I know other people who have similar kind of organizations and ministries, the issue where it does become political based on the way the rules are written is that some issues are considered in a, in a, in a given category just by virtue of what they are, right? So anything touching on abortion, pro-life, anything like that is automatically in a category that is either I think on the best case, maybe suspect, worst case, hate speech. And I've seen both of those. And so when stuff like this happens and you have somebody say, here I am trying to help people who are wounded and trying to, you know, I'm not forcing anybody to come. People come of their own free will, but I'm not able to run this ad. And then you see other examples. And I, I pulled some other examples, not to make the whole show about that, but where the idea of making an assumption about somebody is clear. You made an assumption that somebody was cold, so buy a sweater, you know, those kind of things. So it just, it, some of these things don't ring as true when you, when you, at least when you get them and then you can't talk to somebody right. and you can't like get a human, right? So, it can lead to a lot of thoughts about, hey, you know what? This thing is kind of stacked
1: against me. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> I get it. I mean, I, I understand that. I mean, when you, especially because you're seeing it from that lens, right? Sure. As I look at this ad and the reason it gave you is uh, basically it's telling you, avoid making an assumption about a user's personal attributes. Okay. I mean, I, I, the part of the question will be is that if you change the question marks and Framed in a different way with that, you know, this, this go through. But to your point, are these type of topics, you know, themselves getting flagged in a manner that is at a higher clip than other things would be? You're probably right. I mean, to, I think to that point, that's where people start to become very skeptical about really the reality of how these platforms are operating. And that's especially that's one of the biggest issues, right? Because even like, when we go back to talking about where we started, which is the Senate hearing, the thing that everyone in that last hearing could agree to, including the CEOs of Twitter and Facebook, is that there's just a need for a lot better transparency across the board. Because there is this inherent mistrust of these platforms because they're so large. They're so complicated. I think even people in those organizations have a hard time explaining exactly how they work because after, after some point, they start, to, you know, start taking a life of its own. The fact that we talk about the algorithm in a third-party sort of perspective, right? Like the algorithm does this. Right. Like it's like its own person, its, its own being. It is. Because like, to some extent, it it's actually brain. is. Yeah. It, it, that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the scary thing about it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that all leads to this distrust, mistrust, I'm sorry. And when you see examples like this, even if they're right or being consistent about the policy, I get it. I get it. If you're seeing it from, especially if it's not the first time it happens and you're seeing yourself your stuff get flagged left and right. Look, the only thing I can speak to that comes to that is like, I've been on the other side of that and running a company that You're, basically yeah. felt that we were always a victim of this or that or this. And it was like having to talk people down all the time. And in part, well, because look, when you have enough success that people, you know, it just, gets, it just draws a lot more attention. Yeah, And that situation that we were in you know, before and it doesn't make and, it okay, but it's just the, sometimes the reality situation. And like I said, I don't believe
0: that the answer is a very facile. The platforms are against conservatives. I don't believe that that's true. I do believe that their process of using these dashboards that are engagement driven to find out what to even look at to flag, I think that's a problem yeah. when a lot of the conservative ones are the ones that are performing best on engagement. I think that's true. And I do think that the diversity of, of thought, the makeup of these companies, which is something that's been, you know, maybe not so much in this one that happened in November, but the one last month, pretty hotly debated point about, you know, some of the senators or whatever, yeah. Congress people saying, you should hire people in like you know other parts of the country besides Silicon Valley so you might get a different perspective on things. I think those things definitely do need to I mean, they would. Happen. I
1: think they would have an impact. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to say that they wouldn't, right? Because the reality is you have people that have a different perspective, you know, working yep. in the same algorithms, that you have a better chance of having different points of view and at least accounting for adjusting for some of these different voices that need to be also heard I mean, part of the ecosystem, right? So I, I agree with you. Yeah. I, it's a, it's a tricky one, but I do think that the, the this is one in terms of social, social platforms that will continue to be a conversation for a while because it, it's such a complicated issue that is happening. And the reality is none of us, both the companies, the Congress, individuals. Nobody understands fully. No one understands fully, oh, we never seen anything at this scale. Never. never. Right. So that well, that point think, is yeah. like, I think is is one that cannot be minimized of how hard it is to manage this thing because is that a point that listen, I remember being, you know, running radio stations and we talked we had to talk. we had to worry about centers of practices for what ads you ran on the station, right? And part of what standards of practices did was actually I look into the credibility of the ads that you're sure. actually running, sure. right? So yeah. they would have to look at it and say, is this true? Are you making claims that they're, you know, they can't be actually Is it factually true, right? Mm-hmm. So so there will be a group that literally would look I, at I every remember. single ad and say, I remember we, we, had it at Di- we had it at Disney and it was like, I mean, yeah, notorious. Exactly, right. So yeah. that's, so this, this issue has been around forever, but it was much easier to do yeah. when you had very controlled pipelines of how to get messages out. And you were talking about hundreds of messages, not millions Mi- billions. And billions of messages. Yeah, And right?
0: I agree with you that the scales pro- is, a, is an issue. And therein lies also the bigger, the, you know, to me, the biggest point is the necessity of these platforms for yeah. people's businesses anymore and everything. I mean, you and I last week were looking at some targeting variables on one of these platforms. And the more variables we added, the bigger the pool of people got, which made no sense, right? right. you look it at, be, we're it for, be for, the, for the audience, you're looking for men of a certain age, then you decide you want men of a certain age, but that are all softball players and have red hair. And suddenly the group got bigger instead right. of getting smaller. And like, we looked at each other and just basically said, "Oh, well, I don't know, you know, maybe that's the way it is. But like the yeah, reality of it is, that was a example, at, yeah. at no point did we go, oh, Facebook sucks. We're going to not use it or whatever the platform was we're looking at, right? right. You have no choice but to use these <laughs> platforms to achieve these ends. I think that's yeah. a problem. And it gets to my final point on this so we can kind of move on. But I'd love your thoughts on it, which is I was on a podcast recently. Um, shout out to uh, the guys at Minority Report who, uh, who, who I was on whenever that was, a couple months ago. And they asked me a question about what advice I would give to a young person coming into our world, right, into tech media, that kind of world. And what I said to them was, don't lose your personal agency, right? When you walk into these things, don't assume that the ground you're walking on just has to be that way. It's not like you're an engineer or you're a lawyer or you're a banker and you're walking in and somebody says, hey, this is just the way that interest works. Like, no, you walk in and somebody says, that's the algorithm. Just basically say bullshit. Like, I want to blow that up and change it because that's the thing that we're talking about. What I believe the problem with these platforms is besides all this stuff, which is, you know, us kind of like... The, 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 what is the expression? The deck chairs on the Titanic. We're like tweaking little things when the whole friggin' thing's going down. <laughs> the issue that I see is the, the way that these platforms are set up and we're rewarding kind of chaos. Chaos creates money, like all of this antagonism and all of this fighting back and forth, man, that drives a crap load of engagement and look how Facebook measures their, their success is on engagement. We ran a company before this one that we measured the whole world on engagement, right? And that engagement, you and I know, you're six
1: times more likely to tell somebody about a bad restaurant experience than you are a good one. That's just human nature. Well, because if I make someone upset, then we're a more likely to decide to stick around and actually have a point of view and engage, yeah, et cetera. No. And it's just, yeah, it, it just creates bad behavior.
0: So I think that's more the issue than yeah. whether or not conservative, conservatives aren't getting their tweets um, or whatever posts heard or suppressed or whatever. I think we agree, Charlie. All right. This is one well, I think one that, of
1: maybe many who well, knows, who knows, it's still early in this episode. We'll but, see. But it is a, it
0: is a, it is a complex and a nuanced yeah, issue, but, sure. but something needs to happen because the data coming out of this last 10 years in terms of social media is not good. Um, maybe we'll add a couple of I links the, in the show notes. Yeah. For that. I think
1: one of the, one of the things that will be really interesting as a, as this sort of, you know, if we go forward is to what degree does this um, law section 230 gets actually modified. Yeah. Uh, or completely removed for that matter, right? Um, and, and that's basically, it's a reminder, is the law that protects a lot of these social platforms being able to basically not be liable for the content that goes on the platform. So the more you remove it, the more liable they are, the more they're going to be restrictive in what content goes on there. So I think you know that's going to be a really tricky one in terms of how that gets handled. But the reality is I think there is technology uh, answers to be able to create a lot more parity in data and information and in my mind, the more we have that, the better off we're going to be in all scenarios, even if some of those broader issues that you just mentioned are not fully addressed, at least not now.
0: Well said. Okay, let's move on then. Courage or cringe? We're going to start with uh, Obama Hates Hip Hop. Is that is that <laughs> the one? What's, what's this about?
1: Uh, yeah, this is this is a good one. So in an, in an interview uh, for The Atlantic, President Barack Obama, uh, this is, by the way, as part of his, the tour of his new book called The Promised Land. Uh, spoke about the idea that Trump's support from black men might be due to, in quotes, the bling, the women, the money, right, in hip hop. Uh, Basically, President Obama suggested there's a comparison to be made between how Trump values success and the way that the genre of videos convey success, right? So, and to quote him, he said, It's interesting. People are writing about the fact that Trump increased his support among black men in the 2020 presidential election. And the occasional rapper who supports Trump, and there was, by the way, a few of those that came out. So you had, you know, um, uh, Lil Wayne, right? Lil Wayne. Well, famously, Kanye had his thing. Lil Wayne. Kanye had his thing, although Fifty Cent, Fifty Cent, although he took it back immediately. But you had, you know, some support from rappers, right?
0: Endorsement, Uh, and then the non-endorsements that were read as endorsements from Ice Cube and that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. That you
1: had the big issue with Ice Cube, Um, and he continued to say, "I have to remind myself that if you listen to rap music." It's all about the bling, the women, the money. A lot of rap videos are using the same measures of what it means to be successful as Donald Trump is. Everything is gold-plated. That insinuates itself and seeps into the culture. Uh, America has always had a caste system, rich and poor, not just racially but economically, but it wasn't in your face most of the time when when I was growing up. Um, And then lastly, he said, "Then then you start seeing lifestyle of the rich and famous, the sense of either you've got it or you're a loser, and Donald Trump optimizes that cultural movement that is deeply ingrained now in American culture. So, uh, and by the way, to remind ourselves, is that like this is in the backdrop of um, you know President Trump increasing his support from African American in total, right? African American, he I think was twelve uh, percent is what it, what he did uh, overall. Overall, overall twelve percent. 12% overall twelve percent from, from 8%, eight percent from 8%, eight percent. So from six before. Yeah, pretty from big increase, and then from six, and it was before that.
0: And that, then black men was twenty, almost twenty, nineteen.
1: Yeah, I mean, keep in mind though, during Barack Obama's presidency, of course, is when he had the most uh, support from African Americans, and like historically, they've been very democratic uh, in terms of their support. But you know, but Donald Trump did get a, a much bigger share, big jump in, in in terms of support overall from eight to twelve. Um, I know we talked about this in a previous episode, historically have been in that sort of 12 to 15%. uh, uh, Historically after the sixties. Historically after the sixties, correct. Um, But with Obama and the presidency, that of course was very, very much the side of Obama. So so a lot of, you know, interesting commentary from president Obama. Uh, Charlie, you want to go? Want me Uh, to go? Sure. I'll I'll take a stab. I mean, for me, it's definitely a cringe
0: um, on a number of levels. I mean, I think it's, kind of factually inaccurate in the sense that, and I don't know because I haven't been studious of every rap video or hip hop video that's come out, but I think he's describing an era of hip hop that is, you know, not necessarily in the, the sort of mainstream right now.
1: It reminds me of like the P. Diddy, P. Diddy sort yeah, of time, right? Where, it does. Uh, this yeah. is
0: very like late eighties, nineties, you know, yeah, kind yeah. of. So there's some of that that's kind of factually to my mind, incorrect. Um, And then I also think about, well, yes, there's an odd, the odd (laughs) uh, uh, hip-hop star who supported Trump publicly, but what percentage would you say of hip-hop, you know, artists uh, support Donald Trump? I'd say it's a a vanishingly small number. Very
1: small small number, yeah.
0: Right, so so I I think both it's factually inaccurate and number two, it doesn't – get close to explaining. If there is something to explain, it doesn't get close to explaining how you go from whatever it was to 19% of black men or 20% right. of black men. So it's a terrible, it's a, it's inaccurate. And it's a really bad theory as to why this, why that actually happened. Now, I don't know why it happened. Right. That, that's something that bears some more studying. So, sure. you know, but I doubt that this had anything to do with it. So to me, it's a cringe. It's a, it's a misspeaking. Uh, it's a guy, look, he's not short on eloquence. Right. So when a guy like this screws up, he screws up like it's a real screw up. Right. It's not like somebody <laughs> who can't speak. <laughs> right. He didn't tweet it, by the way. Right. It's actually as part of an interview. Like our our last two presidents shouldn't speak and can't speak. <laughs> right. Or Biden's not president yet. But you know what I mean? President he's like, he's yeah, can't yeah, yeah. speak. You, and then you. he 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 follows a guy who shouldn't speak. Um, but but, uh, but Obama was super articulate, like a very yeah, sharp guy. Yeah, yeah. So when he guy. says
1: something, you like look every word. You you splice every word. And there, this is just dumb. There's very few times where I thought of Obama as the old guy who was like talking about what the kids are doing. And this was like a great example of the old guy talking about what the kids are doing. What are the like, kids just, listening like, to? It, yeah. Exactly. It was like... Uh, Yeah, I think he is entirely wrong in his assessment about this. Um, It was interesting. My response was sort of mixed in the sense of, look, I think attributing the support of black men to rap music for Donald Trump, I think is just wrong, right? Look, one of the things that, at least for me, has been a big uh, learning lesson from the 2016 election is to not try to simplify the support that Trump had, right? and. mm. I'll start with the first and biggest simplification that I the think there was, which is like, "Oh, every person that votes for Trump is racist," right? It's a, it's easy to say that. It makes it, it actually makes people feel good, nice and warm, because it's for you to say like, "Well, we're not that," therefore, anything that's anyone that's that then supports Trump, great, because we'll get rid of those of those people, right? But when it's not just the racist, then it becomes a lot more of a complicated issue. Wait a minute, you know, people that are actually not just racist, people that are American that have families that want to work hard that. Maybe they're not seeing the answers that they're looking for within the Democratic Party. That that makes you not feel that great anymore if you're someone that supports the Democratic Party. Like, what what are we not doing? To support support these guys. And I kind of put this statement in that same kind of category, which is it makes it too simple, too too much of a dumb reason as to yeah. why people are supporting uh, Donald Trump. And and I just think it's wrong. I mean, the 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 part that I think I do I did find some interest, and I do think there is some credibility too, is this notion that when Donald Trump and I don't agree for 2020, but I could see it for 2016, which is part of the allure that he brought to the table was this persona being this very successful entrepreneur. And like, look, look how successful I am in business. And therefore I could take the same approach anywhere, anywhere to government. And I do think that people voted for him in 2016 2016 for that. Sure. And 2020. I I don't, but I I see, but I, I don't see the attribution of the increase from 2016 to 2020 to saying like, no, now no, you're I a agree. better business no, person. No, 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 I agree. That That's why mean. I think this argument doesn't work. If, yeah. you're giving me the, if you gave me this argument for 2016, I'm like, okay, I, I can see some of that. I can see that being the reason. But between 2016 and 2020, I don't see it at all. Because what we learned in 2016 and 2020 is that that business persona doesn't necessarily translate to how the government is run. And, and more importantly is that before the election happened, there was a lot of information that came out about his tax returns, about all of these business failures that he's had and how much money is lost. So you can't tell me that is because of this sort of brand of simply being this really successful business person and why he got African-American men to want to vote for him. It doesn't make sense to me as the increase in attribution, right? I can see for 2016, maybe to some extent, but not for 2020. I just think the entire statement is wrong. I think Obama, look, I'm a big fan of, of President Obama, but... I couldn't disagree with them more, and and sort of trying to simplify, and I'm create like almost. I know "dumbify" is not a word, but it's like no, making Like yeah, it you know it's like making course. it really like a dumb reason why. Well, and he, and
0: he makes dumb yeah. those who he's talking about, frankly. Sure. By, like by they're saying just this, not that bright, and they like
1: all the things that's gold and shiny. The shiny and therefore like, they're gonna go to <laughs> right. I, go shiny. Go to the it's, go to the ballot box. I'm, I'm very cringe on this you, one. You have to give it up to very the, cringe. Okay, so you're
0: cringe. We're batting a thousand. You, you you have to give it up to the French. They're good at making words. And I'm gonna say one for this as a last cloth- closing thought. The word is "fascinating." And sometimes pronounced facile, but what it—the definition is appearing neat and comprehensive, only by ignoring the true complexities of an issue. Right, superficial. So that's what that statement was, and so it gets a cringe from both of us. Great, we're off to that. the races. We're,
1: we're off to the races. I'm well, excited. I, I have a feeling
0: we're going to screw this up. What? What's? Uh, what's next?
1: We were we were doing well, and then we talk about. <laughs> Melissa McCarthy, right? Oh, Um, Melissa McCarthy. So, Who's uh, super funny, by the way. She's great. I'm a big fan of Melissa McCarthy. So as part of a promotional rollout for her new HBO Max film, Super Intelligence, um, McCarthy and the streaming service, HBO Max, um, announced uh, basically this promotion called 20 Days of Kindness. So the idea was to basically, it was a charitable endeavor that was seeking to elevate different charities in the 20 days prior to the film's release, right? So... Basically, what they committed to was that they were going to donate $20,000 to a different good cause daily with social media encouragement for others to provide monetary support as well, right? So, they picked a bunch of different organizations every day, $20,000 to a different organization. It's like, great, mm-hmm. great thing that they're doing, right? Now, one of the organizations that they decided to support was this organization called Exodus Cry, right? And the organization is, uh, you know, basically it, it's, uh, it supports... Uh, or tries to combat sex trafficking and was founded by Benjamin Nolot right Now there was a lot of controversy with this with this founder and because of that support, McCarthy um, basically got a lot of pressure from her fans to remove her name to remove her support to that organization uh, because the charity was basically um, uh, you know was framed as being someone that was uh, that was amplifying. Uh, that had a founder who was who had expressed anti-gay and anti-abortion views. Now, specifically, what Benjamin Nola had, has shared before in tweets. It, by the way, this is like there's definitely like a tweet theme here. There it's is. Like, it's, how many times do you find people who had a tweet, you know, source of all knowledge. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and it just sure. comes back and bites in the butt, right? Mm-hmm. So in 2013, Benjamin Nola, who's the founder of his organization, said, Ending my week praying for God's mercy over Americans has more and more light is being shed about the modern-day holocaust of abortion uh, in addition he also said i oppose homosexual marriage on the premise that it is unspeakable offense to god and his design for marriage between man and a woman uh that was in another tweet that he wrote also in 2013 right um now one thing to note here is that he later walked back that tweet writing that his opinion has shifted in the years uh since he originally said that in 2013 and when he said this, he look, even mentioned like even former President Obama has similar views in the past. And by the way, to remind ourselves, that was the case. President Obama initially was not pro, uh, you know, gay marriage, and actually later changed his point of view about that. But when he first sort of talked about, it, he wasn't. Um, but he but he made this in a statement, of, you know, from the organization website, um, saying that how he's changed his view. But basically, because of the founders' views in 2013, uh, and pressure, public pressure from from folks and fans of obviously Melissa McCarthy. Uh, she decided to uh, pull back in her support of this organization, right? And uh, it's something that ultimately, you know, the the organization sort of lost out in this $20,000 and be part of this, this, ca- this campaign that they were doing. And obviously there was a lot of, you know, controversy because of that. There was also
0: a kind of sub-controversy that was, even though Exodus Cry is explicitly against human trafficking, some of the people that were pointing out to Melissa McCarthy that she should take the money back and and basically speak out against this organization were people who said that Exodus Cry is also against abolishing sex work, right? And sort of making a distinction between human trafficking and what it leads to and sex works. Like sex these people were saying to Melissa McCarthy, Abolishing all sex work is bad because women should be allowed to choose to, to do that if they want.
1: But you talking about like prostitution or what? Prostitution. To- yeah, 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 prostitution. Illegal like prostitution or illegal prostitution? I guess it not I don't
0: think know. it came to that, to that level. But, yeah, um, I hear that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in the, well, it depends on, I guess, which article you read. I read uh, the Daily Beast one, which is.
1: Yeah, that was the one that initially sort of had this. Um, that's the one that really sort of sparked this this whole conversation and why they got all this pushback. Now, by the way, the organization Exodus Cry pushed back the idea that it campaigns against women's rights, right? So they argued that it instead, instead advocates for the rights of women not to be exploited for sex. Um, they also acknowledged that the Exodus Cry CEO had expressed his personal views that he believes in the protection of life in the womb while maintaining that Exodus Cry has never taken any position on those issues. Sure. And highlighting, you know, partnership with organizations that are both for and against abortion. Uh, It also worked to dispel some ideas that Excess Cry is an anti-LGBTQ plus organization. So, Yeah. In essence, you know, this organization got basically punished because their CEO had expressed, you know, very publicly some views that were, you know, can be seen by some, obviously definitely controversial. And and in those categories of being anti-LGBTQ and anti women's rights or or at least, you know, to be anti uh uh pro choice. Yeah. And
0: so I, I went I went first the last time. What what do you
1: think on this one? I'm really conflicted on this. Um oh but that's part of it. That's yeah, the dilemma. Yeah, yeah. that is the dilemma. the dilemma. That is the dilemma. I'm very conflicted on this, right? On the one hand, I guess here's the way that I kind of looked at it is that I think that um I don't have a I, I look I don't have an issue with Melissa McCarthy supporting this organization. Right. This organization is about trying to Uh, really get rid of sex trafficking, right? And if that is a core issue that Melissa McCarthy feels passionate about, then I feel like this organization should get the funding to be able to do that kind of work. At the same time, if she personally believes that she is both pro-LGBTQ rights and also pro-choice, that if she would have known that the CEO had made these kind of claims. And the only part that wasn't clear to me is that how much he knew beforehand? How much he knew beforehand? Yeah, it wasn't clear to me and either. And also, when I, when did the CEO Benjamin Nolo, mm-hmm. change his perspective about his views on both of those, those topics? Did it happen after the, the the support got pulled back, or did it happen before? Now, so I would say, if it happened before, meaning if this CEO had come out before and had made this the statements on Twitter t- in you know seven years ago, and has since turned around and say, listen, I, you know, I may have thought that way, but I've after reflecting. Blah, 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 I feel very different about women's rights. I feel very different about LGBTQ rights, et cetera. Then I think then at that point I am entirely against them getting dinged and taking funding away um because of comments that this CEO had made seven years ago. Right? So that um, you know, I just I just have a really big issue with that. At the same time, if he basically came out after the fact, after this the 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 you know after the the funding got pulled, and the reality is his personal views just do not align with Melissa McCarthy's views, then I have a hard time saying Melissa Grant shouldn't be supporting organizations that she doesn't support, like where the views are are, are basically against us. Now look, we and I have talked about this before, but look the both the the value and the and the burden for a CEO is that your views are your company's view, whether you like it or not, like that's just the reality. And if you're going to be talking about things, your personal views in public, especially Twitter, then you have to be able to embrace both the good and the bad that comes from it. So in my mind, look, if you, if are the views that you, that you take, then that's the stance that you're taking and that's fine, but you may get some negative pushback from that. And you have to live with it. You have to live with it. So sure. from, that, from that perspective, that's why I probably put it a little bit more on the courage from that perspective only, from, for only only if, look, if, if Melissa McCarthy did not know that and the CEO still believed that or still publicly only made this claim and only changed his perspective after the pushback, yeah. then at that point, then you have a misalignment in, in values of what you're actually supporting, even if the organization is trying to do a really good thing. Because you could take any organization, no matter what they're doing, and the CEO has a very public stance like it's an issue. And you disagree with that issue then you as a person as an individual have the right to not agree with them and therefore support somebody else 100%. I
0: think I think a lot of this is um I'm missing some some facts like you are about some of the way that this went down so I have to make some assumptions and fill in the gaps myself so full disclosure I may be wrong about this cuz I just don't know. But um there's a couple things that stand out and it ultimately for me it's a cringe. Mm-hmm. And The first thing that stands out to me is this is a promotion for a film. And like, we know the way the promotions work and 99 times out of a hundred, they're done by a bunch of people that are kind of unrelated from these particular folks. I'm sure somebody...
1: Especially Melissa McCartney. <laughs> exactly. nothing to do with
0: it. Yeah. I'm sure somebody slipped her a piece of paper and said, Hey, but her
1: name is attached somewhere. to it. So that, yeah. that matters.
0: We're going to do this thing. And there's like nine agencies involved. And sure. there was probably some intern that pulled 10,000 potential nonprofits that you could donate. And then the, the, you know, crew sat around with beer and threw darts at a wall and hit 10. And that, those are the ones right. they picked. And right. then right. that got put on a piece of paper and she looked at it and said, okay, sure. So, First of all, that's the first thing that stuck out. So I don't know how much thought actually went into doing this sure. besides we want more people to watch I, I this video. I think your description is probably pretty accurate. Pretty accurate. a lifetime of advertising. <laughs> and I didn't mention the guy who's behind it trying to make money from this, which was my role in business, <laughs> trying to get them to sign it faster. You know what I mean? So, so, so that's one thing that, yeah. that was there. Um, Fair. So so the other thing is, I don't know when she found out about who this organization was and whether or not she had any issue with it. The evidence I read suggests that she caved to something. when, feed, she when got back, a lot of public
1: pressure. That's, that's yeah, what yeah, I mean. Yeah, she she got, got a lot, lot of, public, of backlash lot of public pressure,
0: yeah. and that she, she basically then at that point, you know, kind of said, okay, we're not going to go with these guys. And if the reason is I disagree with what the CEO, I don't disagree with the work but I disagree with what the CEO said, then the only fair thing would be to look at the other 19 nonprofits and go, do you agree with every CEO of what they, what they believe in? And they're not going to do that. And nobody's going to do that to satisfy me. But I would guarantee that you would find among those 19 CEOs something else that she disagrees with.
1: And nevertheless, they're going to get the money. But, but to what degree are those guys being public is the, the issue. Okay. And I think that's I the burden of, the, of, the, of a CEO. I and I think that's the, to me, when I look at this, it's hard to feel bad for it, for them. If you have a very outspoken CEO, like that could be to your benefit or it could also come and bite you in the butt. Right.
0: The other thing that that kind of jumped out at me, and I took this mostly from uh, from the Daily Beast article, which I don't know if you read, but was the fact that she was getting or she was getting a lot of heat among the reasons: the LGBT thing, yes, the the, the pro life thing, but the fact that this organization, according to the Daily Beast and others, wanted to abolish the commercial sex industry, meaning that human trafficking is bad but commercial sex industry can be good, right? The, this distinction that, right. That, 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 that jumped out at me. And look, some of this, like everything else, right, it, it gets to be very personal because, you know, I've worked with women who have been trafficked. My wife was homeless for a number of years, literally on the streets with watching the human trafficking happening. The overlap between prostitution and sex work and human trafficking is huge, right? And so for me, it was like, here's this organization, who stated purpose is to banish human trafficking right? That's their stated purpose. The CEO said some things maybe you don't agree with they're controversial in a in a context in a sort of fundamentalist Christian context, not kind of controversial at all sure. right and because of that, you pull the money back from these people who are doing this work and it's just like to me again, it just it it, it felt like it was uh, like I'm buckling to people complaining at me which I understand on some level, but it just didn't ring like authentic based on what I saw. And so for that reason, I give it a cringe.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I, I got to admit, that's an odd one that that would even be in the t- topic of conversation um, in terms of part of the pushback being is, you no, know, we want to have a lot of, you know, you know, have that like basically be like a carve out or something. I, I, don't, I don't fully get it to be perfectly honest. I do think though that if you're in a, organization or you have these kind of views as a CEO and and to your point, and depending on the circle in some circles, especially like very, you know, Christian circles, it's perfectly fine. Like that's actually very in line to what I feel, but then it puts your organization in those circles, in those circles. And I I think that's the challenge that you, that you then get into, which is as you get, try to get out of those circles, it becomes a lot harder to do. And if you're a CEO of a company, then you have to be thoughtful about that. That's just, it's a very practical thing because i look the one thing i would say that if i don't know this is me maybe giving them way too much benefit of that but i think if if she would have known beforehand that this ceo had that kind of views i think just out of pure just like risk averseness she would have been like probably not go with those guys maybe we should go with somebody else and it's unfortunate for that for that organization. If they don't get opportunities because of a CEO being too publicly about, about some, of, some of these points of views, knowing that they're, they're going to create some kind of controversy or be OK with it and they just stick to different circles. Yeah.
0: OK. Well, we were, we were batting a thousand. Now we're back to 500. All right. Let's see if we can uh, we get, get close, up.
1: though. So. <laughs> Let's see
0: if we can bring it home on this last one. We're talking about uh, Gina Carano, also known as Cara Dune on The Mandalorian, which is a show you don't watch, Jesus, but
1: I do. Thanks to my uh, 16 year old who got me into it. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Star Wars fan. Apparently not except that I just have a really hard time with this one and, the and just, I just found the first episode really boring and I just I couldn't get past the first episode but I, I'll, I'll go back to it one of these days and I'm sure I'm entirely wrong on this
0: one well there is a trending uh, well a trending campaign effectively uh, fire Gina Carano on the basis of some controversy she got
1: herself into so what's this about so two months ago Carano had made some dismissive remarks about trans pronouns um, she also shared some unproven theories about both the presidential election results and COVID-19 mass mandates. Um, as a result of all this, the hashtag fire Gina Carano began trending um, a few weeks ago, I think. So this is actually the article came out a few weeks ago uh, after Carano announced that she was setting up an account on Parler, which is another social media platform that has recently become a hit with Donald Trump faithful, right? So apparently a very conservative uh, a social platform, right? So she... So, so what caused all this is that Carano had basically faced calls to add her pronouns to her Twitter biography, right? Um, which is, I guess, a common practice among especially transgender and cisgender social media users to help um, to help avoid misgendering, right? Uh, this is what they say, like, look, like either I'm him, he, or her, you know, uh, she, her, etc., right? So in response to this demand, she added the words boop, beep, bop, right? A uh, boop, bop, beep. I said it wrong. Uh, to her Twitter name and and which which came off as an apparent ridicule to of the of the conversation, right? Uh, and then in addition to that, she then tweeted, They're mad cause I won't put pronouns in my bio to show my support of trans lives after months of harassing me in every in every way, I decided to put three very controversial words in my bio. Beep, bop, boop. Right? And then he f- continued to say, I'm not against trans lives at all. They need to find less abusive representation, she added. Now, the story continues here, right? She then had a conversation with her co-star, Pedro Pascal, about pronouns. Now, Pedro Pascal is also on the, on the series of Mandalorian. Uh, for those of you who may remember him, he's also in uh, Narcos, right? So he was in that for a number of years. And then she said, look, look, yes, Pedro and I spoke, and he helped me understand why people were putting them in their bios, she wrote. Uh, I didn't know before I do now. I won't be putting them in my bio, but good for all of you who choose to. Right. And then she also defended her joke saying beep bop, boop has zero to do with mocking trans people and everything to do with exposing the bully mentality of the mob that has taken over the voices of many genuine causes. Mm-hmm. So that was her response. So she had, you know, some pretty strong words uh, on some of the social pressure she was getting about having her pronouns and made fun of a little, a little bit. Um, and you could say she was like a corner of hers. She was making fun of the people that are trying to pressure her. But for those, for most people, I think that see that probably see it as her making fun of the actual pronouns themselves mm-hmm. uh, and got herself in a little bit of hot water. So now you have this movement that has been going on now for a little while, by the way, of, of trying to replace, uh, you know, Gina Carano in the, in the show Mandalorian.
0: And for those who don't know, she's actually a former MMA fighter. Um, she was actually a fairly successful one and, um, you know, and having seen the show, I've seen every episode so far, she's doing, you know, the role that she plays of this Karen Dune very, very well, very effectively. And she, she's
1: I, probably the first like really big superstar of women UFC fighters.
0: Yeah. Right. I'd say that.
1: Yeah. She's a, she, I would say she's the first like really big superstar. Um, um, cause she, you know, she didn't fight for very long, but you know, she retired for a while now, but she's been doing films. She did some of the Fast and the Furious films as well. Uh, has I been doing acting for a while correct so um,
0: and then the, the the another quick point on that uh, beep bop boop tweet, um, she was obviously referencing, and she actually sent a tweet out after that referencing r two d two right right, right. right. That's, who that's actually talks like yeah, that, yeah. and she's saying that's going to be my my uh, gender pronouns because I choose not to put any of those gen- gender pronouns on my on my profile I have to like honestly the you know the, the first thing I think about is. I want to understand because her big beef was the people who are representing these causes are kind of bullies and they're trying, they're harassing me into doing things. And so these genuine causes that exist, which uh, Pedro Pascal notified her about, really have bad representation. That seems to be her thing, right? Because she's been, she, in her words, bullied and harassed to kind of add these gender pronouns. And I'm thinking to myself, the first thing I want to know is like, who who are these folks that are like, You know, who reach out to people and tell them that their profiles are wrong. Like, I understand if that's your perspective, your opinion, you want to create content about it, you want to tell stories about it, you want to write a novel, you want to do whatever. Awesome. But to actually find individuals and say, change your profile to do this, how effective is that going to be? Just as a t- as a strategy, you know what I mean. Right. It's like that's the first thing that I think about. And well, me- that's
1: by the way, that's that's the age that we live in, with especially with Twitter, right? It gives people direct access to these celebrities that right. they wouldn't have had ever before. So that's true. It doesn't have to be. Look, like, the reality is, this could be you know a person down the street. Like this doesn't you know we're not talking necessarily having these official representative of these movements. It could be anyone that is reaching out to her, trying to get her to change. Her, or actually add a pronoun to her, her account. hundred
0: percent, hundred percent. But I respect her um, her decision to learn about the issue and decide to do whatever she did in this case, which was not add them. And, you know, I respect that she spoke her mind and did so forcefully. And, you know, she has a right to be wrong if that's what in fact she is. But I think a campaign to get her fired from the show because of this is absolutely absurd and I'm glad that I'm not in the minority on that. In fact, I actually... um Checked a Yahoo poll on this particular question: Should Gina Carano be replaced as Cara Dune because of what she said? A whopping seventy three percent, fifteen thousand people in this Yahoo poll said no. Seventy three percent believe that like, she shouldn't be. I feel be. like
1: you are starting to cheat now. We're starting to bring in Yahoo polls. Well, it, just, it was it was literally I feel in the article. A little bit like blindsided here. It
0: was in the article that right. I that I read, <laughs> um, which you had access to as well. Come on, you know the debate rules. But anyway, so I'm glad I'm not in the minority. Most people seem to agree that this is. Um, mountains out of molehills if the woman wants to do that great if she doesn't great um and you know the reality of it is, is i think it's a cringe so that's where i'm at on this one you
1: i, I think she could have handled it better I, I, I look i agree and i support her decision of not wanting to use pronouns she doesn't want to use pronouns that's fine like that should not be i think face uh, forcing some sorry someone to use pronouns that doesn't want to use them I, I do think i do think there's a sense of bullying there that is happening right um, and if she doesn't feel strong enough to make that as part of it, and she feels that people are not gonna be that she doesn't have an issue with people like knowing how to call her. Mm-hmm. Then it does feel excessive. It does feel like bullying to try to force her to put it into her into her account, forcing someone to take a social stance that they may or may not agree with, or may may not be that passionate about to begin with. It mean that you know, look, like, it doesn't mean that she's against trans people. It just means she's not that passionate about having pronouns, and I think that's wrong. I think her immediate response of making fun of it, where the reality is probably going to be, it's, we don't know that, but I'm, like, I'm guessing here it's probably more individuals that are sitting here harassing her about it and engaging in a petty conversation and using it as a way that could definitely be, be misconstrued as making fun of the movement. I think that's where, in my mind, it's a misstep of how to handle it. Her whole thing about finding out more and talking to her co-star, that's great. You know what? And suicide for the fact and not want to do it? That's fine. Like, that's her choice to not do that. I do think that, it, that her getting... Bullied into it and then try to fire her because of it. I just, yeah, I don't agree with it. So I do think it's cringe overall, even though I disagree with the way that she initially responded to it and, in fact, making fun. And whether she says that it's only making fun of the people that are trying to harass her, it look anyone that sees this in in the age of of, of share text and headlines is going to look like she's making fun of the movement.
0: Yeah, there are people who would say though if the if the if the tables were reversed, right? A strong, independent. Successful woman making a decision to do something boldly would be celebrated.
1: Yeah, but the, but the making something boldly could have been like, "Hey guys, I hear you. I'm not gonna do that." Period. Her saying, "No, no, no, I'm actually gonna do is be Boop." Instead, she's making fun of it. Oh, she's you're making, referring to the RT right. D2 so, thing. so once again, okay. once again, I I I cringe on how she handled it initially. But right? your cringe is for the campaign to fire her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. so I'm disagreeing on, on the her, how, how on, on, on wanting to fire her because of this, right. right? I don't think she should be fired because of this. I think she handled it wrong. I I really do think she handled it wrong in terms of, of making fun of this as a way to kind of shut down these folks that are harassing her about it. I think she could have handled it a very different way and said, hey, that's all great. I support people that want to do that. I don't want to do that. And I think that's fine. And that's her choice. And. I think it would have gone a long way. You I think, think the, it would have died at that moment if she said that? I don't think there would have been a hashtag fire Gina Carano because of that. Hmm. I think she would. They will probably still harass her, and people that were still right now not happy about it, people are still going to be happy about it now. They're going to yeah, still harass I her. The, I don't know the timing. I think the hashtag think, may I think have started the high, before this. I think the high, the, the higher. Well, no. I, I, look, I disagree with it in the sense that she is not the only person that doesn't have that hashtag or doesn't have her pronouns. Right? If you if you look at all these different accounts, not everyone has a, a pronoun. And the reason why she specifically started getting picked on was because of the, her, her response to the issue. Well, they were they harassing her? Yeah. Why did, why they were harassing her specifically about this? I'm, that I don't know. I don't know what the history was there. Maybe people know that she's a very conservative leaning to begin with, so they've been harassed. I
0: think that's part of the issue. It could have
1: been part of it, and and maybe but she a little she bit goaded. But when I don't she know. announced
0: the move to Parlor is when the hashtag really took off.
1: Well, yeah, because then there's like doubling down on what's mm-hmm. already sort of came off, and which, well, by the way, we didn't talk case. about Parlor in our social platforms yeah. discussion. Um, uh, frankly, I don't, know, I don't know enough about yeah. about the platform Parlor to really speak to it yet. Uh, I'm, but I that's mean, maybe one for a different episode. It
0: might be. Yeah, in five years ago, I would have said it's completely doomed for instant. And failure but today i don't know because there's so many people who believe that these platforms aren't necessarily supporting their rights to to speech right. so it may be it may be successful we'll talk about that one at a, at a future date um okay so then we end up on a note of agreement so that our average is a respectable 666 which is not a good number but whatever we'll take it um <laughs> two, out two out of three um great jesus any uh post-thanksgiving parting words
1: uh no wisdom today. No wisdom today. I think it's yeah.
0: Just glad too much. to be
1: doing this. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Um, look, look. There's been a lot of of um, emotions. I think, especially with this election. Uh, so, what I do uh, encourage people is to take the time, have the conversation, especially look. Hopefully, for those of you that had you know family and were able to find ways to engage with some of your broader family, whether it was in person or through Zoom, etc. Is that Give people the opportunity to have a conversation and learn from each other, right? Actually, my one party thought would be is this came up recently. I was having a discussion with another group uh, recently, and this question came up about uh, where a person was being asked their opinion of what felt like very conservative points of view, especially around immigration. And she felt really uncomfortable how to have discussion. And the thing that my recommendation was like, listen, you may you may be the only person that this other person actually has access to that has probably a very different point of view. So why not instead of, of recoiling and, and feeling really uncomfortable, why not create an opportunity to have an actual conversation to better understand why they feel a certain way? And as a matter of fact, if you feel uncomfortable sharing your opinion, then ask a lot of questions. Well, why do they feel that way? Why do they feel that way about, about the sort, of, sort of the immigration and the wall, et cetera? Even if it makes you uncomfortable, maybe there's an opportunity to have real dialogue to better understand. Look, it's not about changing someone's opinion. They may feel the same way about it after the fact but at least creating that opportunity to have a real dialogue, a real conversation. So for those of you that got a chance to, uh, you know, spend time with family and maybe family that you may not agree with, my one sort of point of encouragement would be is, like, have a conversation with people. Take the time to better understand where they're coming from. Don't make the assumption that anyone disagrees with you is racist or, or, or is in the other extreme of that, or they're extremely liberal or or, or they're a communist or a socialist and, and maybe within that and asking more questions, we can find a little more, you know, areas of common ground. And
0: that Amen would be my to that. only
1: thing to, uh, I guess, to, to bring up.
0: Amen to that. Very well said. And just a little kind of note on that because it ties back to our, our uh, platform discussion. I think the context of trying to have those discussions and have them in places other than these social platforms is at a premium right now. Because <laughs> exactly. these social platforms are not, at least at present, We'll see what happens with, uh, you know, as we move forward. They're not super conducive for this kind of dialogue uh, to take place. So do it on the phone, do it on Zoom, do it in person if you can, if you're, if you're comfortable or if the situation um, uh, allows for that. But, uh, but try to do it anyway. And that's what a big part of what this show is about. All right, Jesus, great show. Thank you very much. And we will see you guys all again next week on an episode of TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the diversity remix please remember first of all to subscribe and help us to spread the word tell your friends family co-workers and give us a five-star review we're available on apple and google podcasts spotify and everywhere else you get your listening fix and lastly please remember to stop by blackbrown.us the creator of this podcast and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez with production services by Jose Manuel Durquidi and Luis Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Network. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown.